The reason that we've been going through this specific letter in the Bible is because we are church plant. We're an infant baby. Like this thing's like brand new. We're seeing this community, this family start to develop. Okay? The first thing that we did was we wanted to say, hey, we're planning a church. What is a church? We all need to be on the same page. So we did a series called What is the Church? All those messages and stuff are available on the website or the podcast. You can check those out if you'd like. But next we said, okay, what's the foundation that we're going to build on? Okay, if we're planning a church and we're all clear on the same page of what that actually is, from there, what's going to be the foundation? What's going to be the core? What's going to be the center of what we are as a church? And the cool thing about the book of Galatians is that Paul makes it abundantly clear that the central thing in the Christian's life is the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God took on flesh, came to earth, lived a perfect life in our place, died the death we deserve in our place to reconcile us in relationship back to God forever, okay? If we believe that truth, not just conceptually, but if we actually hold tight to it, it has, it has the power to free us from the bondage of sin, has the power to actually influence our, our new desires as a new creation, and to live lives that, that, of abundance, the way that God designed for us to live, in unity and harmony and love and peace and joy. It's amazing that we don't ever move on from the gospel, we just go deeper into it. It's amazing, okay? So that's what we've been going through. We're wrapping this up, like I said, next week, our final Sunday evening gathering, um, before we get moving towards Easter and towards launch. Uh, we're gonna wrap up Galatians next week. But tonight, go ahead and flip to Galatians chapter six. <clears throat> we have a few more verses to go through. Uh, while you guys are flipping there, I was chatting a little bit with um, Jack about two minutes ago, and we were talking about how this has been, we've talked about this on Sunday nights, this has been the craziest cold and flu season, maybe on record, like ever. I, can't, I, I cannot remember a time when it was like, I, I, no joke, I think I, got, I think I got this cold three times in like two months. It was out of control. I think for the last four-ish months, someone in my family, I have two daughters and my wife, Ebony, someone in my family has been sick in the last four months, like at all times. It's been, <clears throat> it's been crazy. My family's gotten rocked by this cold. Um, but in this season, we've kind of, Ebony and I, we've kind of used this to try to teach our children, our daughters, about the importance of healthy living, right? So like, Wash your hands. You don't want to get sick again, right? Wash your hands. Like, you need to eat the, the, the dinner that mommy made for you. You need to eat nutritious foods to boost your immune system. You got to get enough sleep, sweetie. Like, we've been wanting to teach them about healthy living because we don't want them to spread the disease, okay? All of us, I feel like, raise your hand if you've gotten sick in the last, I don't know, three, four months. Yeah, like most of the room. It's crazy. It's like an outbreak. Okay, we don't want our kids to spread the disease. Did you know that sin works a lot like that? Sin's like a disease. It infects like each of us and instead of us doing things to promote spiritual health, we actually end up doing the opposite. I mean, think about it. Like when someone sins against us, how do we usually respond? We usually, I find myself usually wanting to respond back with more sin. Like the other day, Vivian, my youngest daughter, came to me crying and she's like, Daddy, um, sissy hit me. And I'm going to investigate, like, hey, girls, what's going on? And, and Millie goes, she hit me. So it's like violence meets violence meets violence. We respond to the sins of other people against us with more sin. 
just like a disease, sin spreads to us and then we, what we do, we pass it along to other people. And you have this endless cycle that continues of the spread of this spiritual sickness of sin. It's like, you ever see, um, you ever see like a rock get dropped into like a pond, right? And you have the ripples. You guys have seen ripples in water, right? <clears throat> like, think about this. Think about if you examine your life tonight, okay, what the, maybe just the last week, maybe the last year, maybe the entirety of your life. If you think about it, you examine it, what are the ripple effects of sin? Like other people have sin, how the ripple effects of that has affected you. I think just probably statistically, there's like abuse in the room, trusted people that have hurt you, compromised you, betrayed you, maybe neglected you. And on the flip side, think about the ripple effects of your sin that has affected other people. Those of you guys that are married, it's just like, I think about all the ways. Ebony should have left me like day two. She's put up with a lot of my crap. The ways that our sin affects other people. So before we jump into the scriptures tonight, it's, it's great to study the Bible. I love the scriptures, but I really wanna encourage you to examine the reality of where you're at today so that we can glean as much wisdom from the scriptures as possible so that they can actually affect our heart and actually change us. So before we move forward, I want, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about as you examine your life, how has the ripple effects of other people's sin, how has it specifically affected you? And how has your sin, the ripple effects of your sin, how has that affected other people? Because today we're gonna talk about the choices we make and how they actually have the power to promote the spread of sin or they have the power to promote spiritual health and wellness. So before we jump in, I'm gonna pray for us. Will you join me? Oh God, thank you um, that you really are the great physician. Um, thank you that you love us despite our rebellion, despite our rejection, despite us wanting to do our own thing. Like you really are still um, so committed and faithful. It's amazing. And I thank you um, that the power of your grace and the power of your love actually can transform us. And not only transform us from the inside out, but can transform all of creation. It can transform everything around us. So Spirit, I, I, in this moment, I, I wanna pray for me, like that you would get all the junk out of my mouth, like anything that you don't wanna say, get rid of it. Um, help me to honor and serve my friends. And I pray that you'd give us all, like ears to hear you clearly, Holy Spirit, and eyes to see you more clearly. We wanna enjoy you in every single area of life. We wanna follow you as your disciples. So would you help us to do that? Would you grow us? <clears throat> I love you, Jesus, and I pray these things in your holy and beautiful name, amen. Okay, so Galatians chapter six, we're gonna be reading verses six through 10. Okay. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verse nine. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay, so I'm gonna spend the rest of my time going through three things, okay? I'm gonna touch on three things. The first is this, partnership in the ministry. Second, the law of sowing and reaping. And thirdly, the potential harvest, okay? So partnership in ministry, if you're taking notes, the law of sowing and reaping, and the potential harvest. Okay, let's talk about partnership in the ministry. Uh, Look back at verse uh, six here. Verse six, what it's doing is Paul's describing the relationship between a pastor and the church. Okay, he says, let the one who who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Okay, uh, I probably spent more time than I should have studying just this verse (laughs) this week, okay? I studied it a ton. And to just be totally vulnerable and honest with you guys, uh, there's no getting around it. Paul is referring to the material provision of pastors and teachers. Okay, no joke. I read over a dozen commentaries. I like dove into this because I was like, this is, I really want to be like, I really want to reflect what Paul's trying to say here and not just come up with something that I think is right, okay? So instead of awkwardly having the pastor tell you to provide for the pastor, I'm just going to read you the quotes of some of these biblical scholars and what they have to say, okay? So I'm going to read you these. There's a handful of them. I think they're really helpful, and you'll see where I'm going in just a second. Okay, Simon J. Gathercole says this, quote, Paul instructs the church to support its teachers materially with food, money, and whatever good things are appropriate. R. Kent Hughes and Todd Wilson, he, wrote, he writes one of my favorite volumes of commentary. He says this, quote, there is an exchange that ought to take place within the life of every healthy church. On the one hand, pastors ought to share with the congregants the spiritual resources of the word of God so that congregants can be nourished and equipped to live for Christ. On the other hand, congregants are to share with pastors their financial resources so that pastors are free of the burden of having to provide financially for themselves and are thus free to devote all their time and energy to feeding the flock. Okay, one more. J.D. Barry says this, quote, Paul instructs the Galatians to regard their teachers as ministry partners and help meet their needs. Okay, so listen, I know it can kind of be awkward, the pastor telling you, hey, provide for the pastor. That's ultimately not what I want you to hear out of this, okay? What I want you to understand is first and foremost, your purpose as a Christian. Your purpose as a Christian is to enjoy, obey, and operate like Jesus in every area of your life. Marriage, finances, work, home life, out of home life, when you're by yourself, when you're with a group of people, when you're eating dinner at the restaurant and when you're hanging out at the park, Every single area, every single moment, you enjoying him, obeying him, and operating like him, okay? That's your purpose, that's my purpose. That's the purpose of every Christian, okay? My job is to help you do that. And not only is my job to help you do that, but it's to help you help others do that. Make sense? You tracking with me? Okay. You guys guys remember the movie Jerry Maguire? Remember that, that classic scene where he's like, help me help you. Help me help. That's literally what this is, okay? It's help me help you. It's, it's a relational thing. I'll get into that in just a second, okay? <clears throat> when Paul refers to teaching the word, 
Here in Galatians chapter six, he's referring to two things. He's referring to both information and instruction. So it's not just head knowledge. It's not just, here's what the Bible says. That's part of that's important. He's talking about information and instruction. He's talking about the what of the Christian life and the how of the Christian life. It's both. It's a both and thing, okay? Um, I think it's important. Let me, let me, we're gonna break out into the Greek a little bit here. Uh, this letter was originally written in Greek and the word there where it says share, um, it's the word koinoneo, and what that word is, it's, it's a relational word, this idea of sharing, right? It's relational. It means to share and to have fellowship with. It also means partnership. It's having like a, like a shoulder-to-shoulder relationship. Okay, there's like there's equality, there's sharing, there's fellowship, there's partnership, shoulder-to-shoulder. It is not a business relationship. And oftentimes when you think of material provision, especially when you're talking about money, oftentimes it can easily go into like a business transactional thing. That is the opposite of what Paul's saying. He's using relational connection. He's using sharing as in fellowship and partnership. He's not referring to like payment. I've witnessed... um, Unfortunately, I've witnessed some unhealthy relationships between churches and their pastors. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect pastor. But I have seen some things where there's like, there can tend to be, when, on, on the unhealthy end of the spectrum, there can tend to be this mentality where it's like, my tithe pays your salary. As if like the pastor's an employee to the congregation instead of a partner instead of a relational fellowship, like, instead of a family. I remember, um, this was probably two and a half, three years ago, when we were still down in, are down in San Diego um, at the second church plant. And <clears throat> there was a church in San Diego um, that offered for me to take over their church. And usually when that kind of thing happens, I'm not gonna like blow off the conversation. So I met with them and, and was gonna, okay, let's pray through this. And so I met with some of their church members and I'm in this meeting and, um, and one, of the, one of the guys, he looks at me and he has this kind of like funny look in his eye, but he looks at me kind of like, kind of like, I don't know you, but I, like, and he says this, he says, you know, pastors can be hired and pastors can be fired. And he's like looking me dead in the eyes and I'm like, I'm Tom, <laughs> like, nice to meet you. You know, it was this awkward, bizarre thing but you could just see that the culture there had drifted into unhealth where it was like a business relationship. It wasn't familial. It wasn't relational. It wasn't a partnership per se. It was more of a business transactional thing. But that's not what Paul's referring to. He's not saying this is a business thing. He's saying this is a mutual sharing of gifts and resources because it's a family. It's not a payment. And here's the thing, the moment you drift into this area of like, it's a business transactional thing and not a relational thing, the moment you do that, the moment that the relationship between a a pastor and a church becomes business, the moment trust goes out the window. I'm not gonna say what you don't, I'm not gonna gonna confront you in sin in love because I'm afraid that you're gonna fire me. So trust is gone. 
You can't trust what I'm having to say that it's actually for your benefit. Unity is gone. Family is destroyed. Like you get rid of all the beautiful things that you read about the New Testament church just simply by like going, oh no, we're gonna turn this into the business thing and not the relational thing. Like can you imagine if like I went to Ebony and my daughters and I was like, okay, listen, like the money that I make, it pays for the roof over your head it pays for the clothes on your back. It pay, pays for the food that you put in your tummy. Therefore, if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm out. That would be outrageous. That would be like the opposite of being a dad. That would be like the opposite of being a husband. The church is the family of God. It's a household of God. <clears throat> that would not be an example of a healthy family. That's transactional. And frankly, there's absolutely no place in the church for that, friends. Zero. Okay, Paul is saying that the church, the church shares their resources, not only with each other, but with the pastor. And why? To free the pastor up to teach and shepherd the church. Now, here's why I want to talk about this, because it's important. Because this concept, this idea, it's a huge a huge piece, a huge part of the DNA of our family of churches. So those of you guys that don't know our story, we're the fourth church plant of the restored church family of churches, okay? Ebony and I moved down to San Diego about six years ago um, to join up with a couple other couples, a team, to plant a church. And since then, we've seen this is the f- now the fourth church get planted, and we are, we are heavily related We're integrated in each other's lives. There's two churches in San Diego, one in LA, and this is gonna be the fourth baby, okay? But I say all that to say, this is a huge part of the DNA of our family of churches, that when it comes to the church's resources, the finances, like a church budget, we're gonna get practical here for a second, okay? When it comes to the church budget, we overwhelmingly prioritize freeing up people to pastor and plant churches. Like, you can look at our budget whenever you want and all the church's budgets. Astronomically, those resources go to freeing up people to plant and pastor churches. <clears throat> okay, and we do that because we believe it's the best way to accomplish the mission of the church. Okay, the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus. The mission of the church, the, the, the reason the church exists is to see people Enjoy him, obey him, and operate like him in every single area of life. And I'm convinced when you read the New Testament that discipleship, that act of people following Jesus, Christians and non-Christians learning to follow Jesus in ever-increasing ways, I'm convinced that discipleship best happens in the local church. I, I just don't know how you'd read the New Testament and come to any other conclusion that like these local church families, they are the the, what would you call it, like the, um, they're just the best place to see people follow Jesus more efficiently, more effectively, and, more, and with more like delight and joy. We're fa- like you have these local churches where, where a family of believers, they helps each other follow Jesus more under the teaching of biblically qualified pastors. That's what we see in the New Testament. It's a beautiful thing. That's what we wanna see here happen with Restored Church Temecula. So, our budget will primarily go to freeing people up to pastor and plant churches, okay? Kind of that's what Paul's kind of getting at here too. So how does that practically work out? Like, we probably won't have like rock climbing walls for the kids in kids ministry. At least not anytime soon, 
okay? Unless we have some like influx of gnarly, wealthy people that are giving to the church, you know? <clears throat> it means we're not gonna have laser shows during, during worship. And listen, all those things, are, they're fine, okay? Like, they're fine. But we really do believe that God has called us to prioritize freeing people up to pastor and plant churches. <clears throat> That's what we did in South Bay, South Bay, San Diego, the second church plant. We did that in LA, the third church plant, and now in Temecula. So um, I'm doing okay on time. When we planted the very first church, so Ebby and I, um, Amelia was like three months old. She was brand new. God gave us this gnarly call. He spoke so clearly and provided in so many spectacular ways. It was crazy, but we literally like, uprooted everything. Sold our home, uh, resigned our jobs, the whole thing, and went to San Diego to plant this first church. And in the process, um, it wasn't like a job. It was like God said go, and we were like, I don't know how you're okay, but I don't know how this is going to work out. So we were able to fundraise. Um, we fundraised $1,850 a month. And our rent in San Diego was $1,500 a month. So for those of you that are really good at math, that left us with $350 a month to live off of as a family of three. <clears throat> so what we did was we just hustled, man. Like Ebony was like, she's a photographer, she would shoot weddings, I would help her shoot weddings. I would like lead worship and stuff for different events and different things as, as it came up and as, as God provided. But what happened was, over time, the church started to, like the, it's like very similar to this. The church starts to become a family and then it starts to actually grow, not just numerically, but in depth. And what the church was able to do is it was able to free us up to where she didn't have to shoot weddings anymore. And I didn't have to go, I didn't have to leave town. I could, we could actually be dedicated to pastoring the church. And then what happened was we sent Danny, Danny Kimmel, him and his wife Mo, and a team of people, we raised a bunch of money for them, sent them to South Bay, sent them to Chula Vista in San Diego, for the second church plant, freed them up to pastor and plant the church. And then we sent Brad and Sarah to LA, same thing, to free them up to plant the church. And now we've been sent here. And it's beautiful. It's so cool. It's like we're able to invest in the kingdom advancing to see men and women, boys and girls, grow in their awareness of God's love for them. We're able to see people grow in following Jesus. And it's, it's costly. I mean, it really is. Like, like, guys, I mean, there's still another crew. How long has it been now? Um, he, like, groups of people drive from, the, from out of town, sometimes two hours each way, just to come watch our kids so that we can actually be in the gathering and we can be served. They don't get anything out of this. Between, um, between uh, Restored Uptown, Restored South Bay, and Restored LA, they cover 75% of our expenses. They're not like an organization. They're people sacrificially giving their time and their energy and their resources to see new gospel communities established, centered on the gospel, enjoying Jesus, obeying him, and operating like him. It's a beautiful thing. I say this to go like, especially in this season, like you need to know this is a huge part of our DNA and, we're, and we get excited about it. I'm, <laughs> this matters to us in a big way. And part of the reason why I bring this up and I'm so passionate about it is because legitimately there are people in this room that I believe will lead churches. I'm not just saying that. There are people in this room that I believe will pastor. There are people that I believe will be part of church planning teams, gospel community leaders, 
worship leaders, I really do believe that God is growing his eternal family. And in the same way that you guys that are adults, you one day you lived in your dad's house and then you grew and then he, call, he has a call and a purpose on you to go lead your own family and to go um, into the world to live out your purpose. I genuinely believe that there are leaders in this room that God's gonna call and equip and release for ministry. And I wanna be your biggest cheerleader. I wanna be able to give you as much money as I possibly can. I wanna be able to give you as much, as much like, re- time, like uh, human resources as I possibly can. God really is in the process of redeeming all things and he's gonna do it through his church. Okay, we want to see healthy partnerships in the family of God, pastors and churches loving and serving each other. It matters to us. Okay, second thing, the law of sowing and reaping. Look back at verse um, seven here. Paul says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Excuse me, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Okay, when you read this, at first glance, it can look like Paul is contradicting everything that he said previously in Galatians. Okay, like Paul's like message, the whole book book of Galatians is don't move on from the gospel. Like, you don't ever move on from the, the, the reality of that it's God's grace alone that reconciles you to himself. It's God's grace alone um, that, 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 that gives you righteousness, not your performance. He says, it's not your performance that saves you. It's God's grace through Jesus. So Paul here, he's not like ditching the gospel and promoting karma all of a sudden. I mean, think about it. Like, think about Jesus' life. Like, Jesus' life totally dismantles karma. Like, he was perfect, totally sinless, his entire life, and what was the end result? He got brutally murdered and betrayed by his friends. Like, that doesn't, that, to me, that sounds like bad karma. But if anyone in the world deserves good karma, it was Jesus because he was perfect. Okay, his life dismantles karma. Paul is referencing the biblical principle here of sowing and reaping, okay, and it's a principle that actually it shows up 66 times in the Old and the New Testament. And hear me say this, it's not in opposition to the gospel. It is not in opposition to the gospel. The gospel is that God forgives. <clears throat> okay, it's, a, it's that, that God reconciles. It's a relational thing. Through Jesus, God covers our sin and then gives us a righteousness that reconciles us back to him. It's a relational thing. Are you tracking with me? Okay, that's the gospel. Sowing and reaping has to do with practical consequences. So I'll give you an example. Vivian, my youngest daughter, she loves to jump on our bed. No matter how many times I tell her, sweetie, do not jump on mommy and daddy's bed. She will climb up there and she'll get, she'll get you know, buck wild and go crazy and then jump on the bed. And here's the thing, she knows that she's not allowed to jump on the bed. She knows this. And I remember, it was probably two, two months ago now, maybe, three months ago, uh, we're getting ready. It was a Sunday, actually. We're getting ready to come here for gathering. And Vivi climbs up on the bed. I'm like, Vivian, get off the bed. And she kind of gives me that look like, what are you gonna do about it? <clears throat> and I'm like, Vivian, 
Like, come on. But I'm still trying to get ready, so I'm not able to give her my full attention, which is my bad as a dad. And she starts jumping on the bed, and I look at her, I go, Vivian, do not jump on the bed. And as I'm saying that to her, she keeps jumping, and then what does she do? She's a toddler, she loses her balance, she falls, and literally falls off the bed. Our bedroom door is right there. She smokes her eyeball right, on the, right against the door. And it was like the noise, boom, like you hear, both of us looked and were like, ER, here we go, like it's gonna be, like it was that oh no moment, you know? And uh, it was bad. She had this gnarly black eye. And in that moment, like she rejected my direction. She did. She disobeyed her dad. And in kind of doing so, she didn't just like reject my direction. She kind of rejected our relationship. Like I'm her father. And she said, no, I'm gonna do my own thing. Those of you guys with kids, there are times when it's like frustrating your kids aren't doing what you want, but then there's times you're like, oh, I feel rejected by you. Like God's placed me in your life to demonstrate healthy authority and to care for you, to use that authority to bless you. So there's this reality of she disobeyed, she, she, she rejected my direction, she essentially directed me, or, um, rejected me. Listen, of course I forgave her. I'm her dad, I love her. I love my girl. Of course I forgave her. Of course her and I are relationally reconciled. Of course. But here's the thing that doesn't magically remove her black eye. For two weeks, she, some, I think some of you guys probably saw it. She had this black eye. It doesn't magically remove her black eye because when a toddler with a poor sense of balance jumps on the bed, what happens? They fall off and they hit their head. Like that song, four little monkeys jumping on the bed. <clears throat> One fell off and bumped her head. Because what you sow, you will reap. The choices that you make, they genuinely have consequences that is different than God reconciling our relationship to the blood of Jesus, Okay? Uh, Tim Keller, one of my favorite uh, leaders in the church, he's in, he used to lead a church in New York City. He says this, quote, this idea of what you sow, you will reap, the choices that you make. He says, quote, in farming or gardening, this is an absolute principle. And Paul appears to want us to see at least two aspects of it. First, whatever you sow, you will reap. If you sow tomato seeds, you will not get corn no matter how much you want corn to grow. Second, whatever you sow, you will reap. Though the seed may be, sorry, though the seed may lie in the ground to no apparent effect for a long time, here's the thing, it will come up. It's not the reaping that determines the harvest, but the sowing. And this law of returns is, is as unstoppable in the moral and spiritual realm as it is in the agricultural one. What we experience in this life is a direct result of the choices we make. Like all of us would say, oh yeah, that makes sense. But I think oftentimes we don't live that way. I mean, think about it. Like if I eat an entire large pizza every night for dinner for the next 30 days, like, God can certainly forgive my sin of gluttony. Absolutely. But that's not gonna, it's not gonna stop my love handles from kind of growing a little bit. 
What Paul's getting at here, friends, in verse verse eight, is this idea that when you participate in sin, you're sowing into your life an appetite for it. Track with me for just a second. He's saying that when you sin, your craving for sin actually grows. Uh, Pornography is like running rampant in our culture. It's like an epidemic. And it's not just the guys, but one of the things that I've seen in counseling people who are struggling with in this area of life is that that they'll view pornography, but then what happens is their appetite for it grows. And it gets darker. It becomes this thing, it's it's like this picture of when you sow seeds of sin in your life, you actually start to grow an appetite for it too. It increases. I mean, think about lying. Like, every time you do it, it's easier to do it. Your appetite for it grows. Same thing is true of every sin, every act of the flesh. But here's what's cool. The same thing is also true because it's this law of sowing and reaping. The same thing is also true of righteousness, of sowing to the spirit. The more you pursue righteousness, the more you reap a harvest of righteousness. It's like we talked about in Galatians chapter five, this idea of the the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That sounds awesome. Like I want that to be what I experience in my life, okay? And what he's saying here is in the same way that your appetite would, would grow, it would increase if you're sowing seeds of sin, if you're sowing righteousness, your appetite for that's actually gonna grow. And not only that, but the fruit of it is gonna be flipping great. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be beautiful. That's this idea of the law, the principle of sowing and reaping. It's, diff- it, it, it's not, um, it, it runs parallel with the gospel. They're not in opposition to each other. The gospel reconciles us relationally. It's beautiful. It's the greatest news ever. But what we sow and what we reap That's just the law that God's built into the fabric of all of creation. You tracking with this idea? Not if you are. Give me an amen. Amen. There we go. Thank you. Okay. Third and final thing, the potential harvest. Um, Look back at verse nine. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The thing that we have to keep in mind with the harvest, with what we reap, is that it comes later. It comes after the sowing. It's something you have to wait for. And I don't know about you, I hate waiting. <laughs> like I want things now. <clears throat> like I go to Costco to get gas because it's the cheapest gas around and every time I go there, I'm like, okay, well, where's the shortest line? So I'm like kind of making people angry because I'm like, I'm not gonna let you cross me because I want to get to the shortest Costco gas line because there's, there's 12 of them and there's always one that's shorter. So I find the shortest one and then what do I do? I'm looking at the other ones to see if I made the right choice because I hate to wait. Okay, and I know I'm not the only person that hates to wait. <clears throat> because we hate to wait, this is what Paul's getting at. It's what he means when he says, don't grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary of sowing righteousness into your life. Just because the harvest is coming, it's not tomorrow, it's coming later. So don't grow weary today. 
He's saying, I know it's hard to sow righteousness and then wait for it to pay off, but it is worth it. It's worth it. Another thing we have to understand is that the harvest, it always results in more than what was originally planted. So whether you sow like something good like, or something bad, <clears throat> the harvest results in more than, one, than what was originally sown. Are you tracking with me? Okay. So do you know what happens when you plant an acorn? Somebody. Yeah, an oak tree, right? <clears throat> so you plant an acorn, and then what happens is you get this oak tree. It produces an oak tree, and that oak tree produces thousands more acorns. What you originally sow versus what you harvest, man, they, don't, they can't compare. What you originally sow is very, it was much less than what the, what the harvest um, that is available to you. So here's the thing that we have to understand, friends, is that every single day of your life, I mean every day, you're sowing. You are planting seeds. The question isn't whether you are, the question is what are you sowing? With your life, what are you sowing? The harvest is always greater than what was originally planting, planted. Sowing sin in your life, it results in a harvest of what? Greater sin. Just like the ripple effect of the pond, that ripple gets bigger. We respond to the sins of others by doing what? By sinning ourselves. And on and on and on that cycle goes. And too often I witness people struggle with circumstances in their life. I feel like I'd say the majority of conversations, whether it's counsel or just with friends, that people are like, I'm struggling. It's because it has to do with the circumstances in their life. And one of the things that crushes me as a pastor, that just honestly is is hard. I'm just being honest with you. One of the things that's really hard is when they've internalized it as God's punishing them. Like I see it happen with finances all the time. Like Tom, I just, I can't get ahead. Like I have this debt. I'm stressed out about this. I'm freaking out about money. And And then the phrase will come like, why is God doing this to me? Like what did I do? Why is he punishing me? And it's hard. I want to love this person. I want to be compassionate with them. And I'm no different than them. I do, I do the same stupid stuff. But the reality is he's not, he's not punishing them. They're just experiencing a rough harvest. But the harvest is directly resulted, I'm sorry, the harvest is directly related to what they sowed, to the choices that they made when it comes to their finances. The rough harvest that they're experiencing, it's simply the consequences of them being the Lord of their wallet and not God. It's not God punishing them. It's, it's the harvest from sowing sin in their life. I'm just as guilty. The choices that we make, they matter. So here's the thing. You and I, we cannot change this year's harvest. You can't. It's coming. The seeds that you've already sown, you will reap. The seeds that I've already sown, I will reap. We cannot change this year's harvest because the seeds have already been sown. But guess what? We can change next year's harvest. 
You ever hear that old saying that the best time to plant a church, or I'm sorry, plant a church. The best time to plant, <laughs> the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Like it's true. <clears throat> Hello, I'm such a church planter, it's hilarious. When I was prepping this, guys, like I had this thought of like, and honestly, it, was, it wasn't even so much a thought as much as it was just like a, um, I just got bummed out for about an hour. I'll be honest. I was like, I've wasted so much time. I've wasted so much time sowing nonsense and then reaping a harvest that's just rough. Like, I wish I would have started at like two my life would be so much richer, you know? Like I had that like, oh, I've wasted, I just, the woe is me thing. I've wasted so much time. If you're honest, do you feel that way? It's okay to feel that way. It's not okay to stay there. Do not dwell in that place. Listen to Paul's words. Do not grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. Just because the last year's harvest was lame does not mean that you shouldn't be sowing seeds of righteousness and goodness in response in worship to the goodness of God in your life. Don't let next year's harvest be affected by last year's harvest. Are you tracking with this idea? It's a big deal. It says, don't grow weary in doing good. Yes, we're sinners. Like we've made really poor choices. Of course, we're gonna have regret in our life. Of course, there's gonna be choices that we make where we're like, man, I wasted time. It would've been so much different if I hadn't done that. That's okay to be convicted of like that was a poor choice, but don't stay there. Don't grow weary in doing good. <clears throat> and then he says, especially to the household of faith. Friends, we're planning a church. It's incredible. We're planning a church and what each of us does today will affect the future harvest. What you sow, you will reap. The choices that we make matter. So here's the thing. I want you to seriously think about the harvest that you want to see. Like, dream a bit. It's kind of fun. Fantasize a bit. It's kind of fun. Like, what kind of harvest do you want to see? In separate areas, okay? Let's talk about first and foremost. What, what kind of harvest do you want to see in this church plant? The depth of relationship, the depth of love, the depth of care and provision and closeness. Not just with adults, but with children. And the, and the, and the way that, that this church might relate to our city, to our neighbors, to men and women who either don't know the love of Jesus or have been really hurt by the church. <clears throat> like, think about this. What kind of a harvest do you as an individual want to see in this church plant? What kind of a harvest do you want to see in your family? In your marriage? In your parenting? In your friendships? In your relationships? What kind of harvest do you want to see? Dream about it, fantasize about it, picture it in your mind. What kind of harvest do you want to see even in your finances? I'm not preaching name it and claim it. Do not hear me say that. <clears throat> this isn't a prosperity gospel. This is a principle in the Bible that what you sow, you will reap, okay? 
Jesus isn't afraid to talk about money. I don't want to be afraid to talk about it either. What kind of harvest do you want to see? We need to understand this idea, this, this law, this principle, that the choices we make today, they matter, and they affect the harvest that we're going to see in the future. Okay, I'll call the band up. I'm going to close with this. I don't think Colton wants to come up. I love you. <clears throat> so we're planning a church. Obviously, we know that. Why are we doing this? Like, what does all this have to do? Sowing, reaping, choices we make. What does this have to do with the church plant? What does it have to do with the here and the now, the season of our community? Why are we planting a church? One of the biggest reasons that we're planting a church is because the world is sick with sin. We, at times, are sick with sin. And sowing more sin only makes all of us more sick. Responding to sin with more sin just causes the disease to spread. That's why we're going through Galatians. The Apostle Paul, he's been so adamant about the gospel for like 10 weeks now, 11 weeks, however long it's been. Don't ever move on from the gospel. Don't add to it. Go deeper in, don't move on. It's everything. The gospel's our only hope to see the disease of sin stop spreading. That's why we're playing a church, to see the disease of sin stop spreading in my life and the life of every person around me. My city, my neighbors, my state, my nation, the planet. We're planning a church to see the gospel spread. The gospel's the remedy for the sickness of sin. It's the only remedy for the sickness of sin. If God, almighty God, creator of all things, the most important being in the universe, he takes on flesh Jesus comes to earth on a mission to sow seeds of God's kingdom. You see the picture? Jesus comes to sow seeds of God's kingdom because he wants to produce a harvest of heaven, of things the way they're supposed to be. No sin, no brokenness, no pain, no death the way things are supposed to be, that every human heart knows this is, something's wrong here. I'm almost done, I promise, but I want to read you one more scripture from Matthew chapter nine. It's verses 35 through 38, and it's basically Jesus talking about this idea of the harvest. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Listen, you only need healing when you're sick. Verse 36, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. This is the crowds of people who have rejected him with every choice, not every choice, the vast majority of choices they've ever made in their life. My way, not your way, God. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, 
the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Friends, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he came to live in your place, to die in your place, to pay for your sin, to forgive your sin, yes, but check this out. He also came to free you from sowing seeds of sin in your life and instead to join him in sowing seeds of God's kingdom. You see this. God's kingdom is doing things God's way, his rule, his reign. So, as I close, imagine what your life would look like. Imagine what your life would look like if you sowed seeds of doing things God's way, not yours. Imagine what this church plant would look like. And not just now in this season, but in maybe like five or six generations down the line. Not just when I'm dead and gone, but when our kids are dead and gone. Imagine the blessing. Like fantasize and imagine this harvest. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you include us in the work that you do. Your desire is to see souls reconciled to you and you're also your desire is to see all of creation redeemed. Your desire is to see this pond, this cesspool of sin where there's ripples of, from coming out from every single one of us that's hurting each other and being hurt by each other. Your desire is to see that calm. Your desire is to see unity and love and peace and joy relational reconciliation between God and man and man and man. So Father, I pray, I pray that you would, if this doesn't like matter that much to anybody in the room, I pray that it would. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears. I don't care, I know it's, I know it's like late and it's kind of, we're, 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 it's not the most convenient time, we're tired, but I pray Holy Spirit that you would, I pray that you would hover on us that you would birth something new in each of us. And what you would birth is a desire for righteousness, not to earn your approval. We already have all the approval we could ever have because we have Jesus' righteousness that clothes us. So I pray that anybody in the room, if their faith is in their performance, they'd see that that's futile and they'd put their faith in Jesus. And also pray, God, that you would help us to, like Jesus, sow seeds for your kingdom. That's what I really want, God. I really want that. I'm asking you. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. So would you send us to be seed sowers? Not of our kingdom, not of the way that we want things to be, but the way that you want things to be. And the beautiful part of that is we get to reap that beautiful harvest. And help us to not grow weary because the harvest does not come overnight, but you promise that it will come. So comfort us. Help us to dream, Holy Spirit. Help us to fantasize even. Help us to imagine our lives in partnership with the God of the universe, sowing seeds that will ultimately result in a harvest of holiness and your kingdom coming. I love you. I'm inspired by your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would be men and women who boldly respond to it.
I love you, Jesus. Pray these things in your holy and beautiful name. Amen.